morning. Everybody good? All right. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and just kind of put it out there on the table. My Kentucky Wildcats are 5-0. and uh, I don't get to say that very often unless it's basketball season in November. So I'm really like, this is a whole, somebody said, I'm surprised you're not in UK gear. And I was like, well, I don't really get it out until the winter. Uh, but uh, man, what, a, what a, an awesome time uh, to be alive. But uh, hey, I, I just want to welcome you guys. And uh, I'm Jason, as Leanne said, and just want to uh, make you feel comfortable. So let me just tell you something big about our church, and that is this. We are a community of imperfect people, and so nobody that's sitting in here this morning has it all together. Uh, if you spend about five minutes with us, you'll, you'll see that. And, uh, but here's the deal. We won't expect you to be perfect if you don't expect us to be perfect. But we believe God's authoring a story in each of us, and so uh, we know that we are loved by and we serve a perfect God, and he has something very unique for each of us and a life that he wants us to live into. And so we're all figuring this out, and we're journeying together. And so just want to welcome you to the journey. Hopefully that uh, takes a little pressure off of you. I don't know your story. Uh, don't need to at the moment to welcome you and just hope this morning God does something, speaks to you, causes a question or a curiosity uh, as only he can do. And I'll just help facilitate that the best I can. So, all right, we are on part four of Jump. And so I'm going to pray for us and we'll get going. Uh, this one I think is going to be a good one for a lot of us this morning. I think uh, uh, it'll just kind of speak to us in a way that uh, hopefully we'll We'll provide some answers and provide some hope. And so we'll just see where this goes. Father, this morning we pray that you will uh, work through me and my mouth this morning, God, that you would speak only the things that are of you. God, even as I tell stories or even as we illustrate things using uh, personal things, and then we link that to things that uh, were personal to people that are recorded in the Bible, that, God, you would allow those things to somehow ring true in each and every individual's life. And so here's how I know that's going to work, God. It's going to work when you take the words and you, through your spirit, plant them in the hearts of these people. So, Father, that's what I ask this morning is that you would be uh, at work in this room, that you would work in each individual as only you can. So, Father, I pray that as we uh, stand on the edge of a decision, as we stand on the edge of, of a broken relationship, as we stand on the edge of financial crisis, as we stand on the edge of something that you're calling us into, that, God, you would give us the courage and the confidence to jump. And we pray this through your son's name. Amen. Any roller coaster people in the house? I don't know what is wrong with you people, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm not a roller coaster person, even though I have, uh, through the years, ridden my fair share of roller coasters just as part of kind of growing up in student ministry and uh, doing that for so long. 15 years, you hit about 16 parks a year, and you know, and you can't be the, the youth guy that doesn't ride the roller coasters, right? And so I have uh, ridden my fair share. Not everybody can handle those, and again, that's why I say that you're special people. I remember the very first roller coaster that I ever rode. And some of you, if you, especially if you grew up in Nashville, which statistics tell us about 10% of you probably grew up in Nashville. But uh, anybody remember this one? The Screaming Delta Demon. Yeah, for all you people applauding, you're old. <laughs> uh, and I, I say we, we are old because I wrote it. But um, this used to exist at a place called Opryland. 
And for some of you who are under the age of probably 30, 35, you're going, like the mall? No. There used to be a place where the mall sits that was called Opryland, and it was this theme park, and they had all kinds of rides and these country western shows and, and a train, all kinds of stuff. But one of the roller coasters that they had was the Screaming Delta Demon, and it was this bobsled-type roller coaster, and it was shaped like a, a dragon or an alligator or something like that, and it had this whole kind of New Orleans feel to it. But it was a, a half pipe meaning that it didn't have any flips or it didn't have any track, really. It just rode in this little uh, luge-type thing like a bobsled does. Didn't have any corkscrews. So that, for me, was step number one. I was at least willing to kind of lean in and take a look at it. And uh, when it would go around the track, it would create this roar like the wheels on this little half pipe, and that's why it got its, its name, the Screaming Delta Demon. And so I had been to Opryland several times kind of growing up in Middle Tennessee. You know, the church would go or school trips, things like that. And I had never taken the jump. I spent most of my time playing carnival games, and man, I, I'm telling you, I, went, I won bears and basketballs and all sorts of stuff, the ring toss and basketball, or I would spend most of my time doing less adventurous rides. And again, for those of you who can remember this, like I was a master at the Tin Lizzies. And if you remember the Tin Lizzies, let me tell you, it was these old antique cars that would go about six miles an hour. And down the middle of this concrete pad, there was a little track about, I don't know, four inches tall. And so when you would go too far, there were these wheels that would catch it, and then it would kind of put you back. So I spent most of my time, once you got out of the sight of the workers, you would try to yank it as hard as you could to see if you could get it to jump that. Anybody else do that? And so that was where I spent most of my time, or on this little ride called the Little Deuce Coop Cups. And they'd play this 50s music, and the floor would rotate and you would be inside of this cup with three or four other people and you had this big wheel and you could spin it as fast as you could and if you did it in the morning your day was shot because you were just sick the rest of the day but I spent my time most in those arenas and so the roller coasters just weren't my thing and then I remember one summer it was time and I had a good group of friends who pressured me, or we'll say they positively reinforced me, you big baby, get on the ride. And it was time. And so I had stood and watched all the roller coasters, and I had decided that if I was going to ride one, it was going to be the screaming Delta Demon. A, it was the coolest. Second, it had none of those turns and flips, and it was the shortest I had timed it. So I had watched it a hundred times go up, take a drop, race around. I knew every curve, and then I watched it return safely. And I thought, well, I think I can do this, but what if this is the one time that, you know, it decides to shoot off this half pipe? So I took a deep breath, and I thought, here we go. So I jump in the back seat because I thought the back seat was safest. They buckle us in. They pull these things down. I hear the attendant go, clear. And then away we went. You come out of this little barn and you immediately begin to go uphill. And it was this chain mechanism that would pull you. Remember this? Click, 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 click. I had taken the jump. I had taken the plunge. I was finally going to experience the thrill that everyone else was a pro had promised me, was awaiting me on the other side. Jason, I'm telling you, it's awesome. You're going to love it. And this drop, they had been promising me this experience, this thrill that was on the other side of this clicking mounting. Click, 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 
click. We're 10 feet from the top and we're stopped. So my mind begins to go, what's wrong? What has happened? I had watched this enough to know that's not the normal. And so I'm, I, at this point, my hands, my, my head are in my hands, and I'm going, I, I think I'm praying. I'm at least using the Lord's name in some form. And I'm going, this was not a part of the plan. So we sat there for what seems like eternity, and apparently there was an issue on a braking mechanism somewhere down the track, and they had to clear that up, and then all of a sudden, click, 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 and then the drop. And guys, it was the beginning of a lifetime of roller coaster anxiety. Actually, I've had a pretty good time. And there's a couple of things I want to link to the Delta Demon back to where we started for just a second with Peter. And then I want to link it to Genesis for just a second today, where there's this good, bad story of a young man named Joseph. But there's a couple things that I noticed about the demon that I can relate to these things. And here's number one. If I don't jump on the Delta Demon, I miss out on the rock and roller coaster. If you haven't ridden the rock and roller coaster, it's down in Florida. It's my favorite roller coaster. I could go there today and ride this roller coaster. I mean, it accelerates from zero to 57 in 2.8 seconds. It's amazing. It travels through three inversions. It goes through this half vertical loop, half corkscrews into a sea serpent roll which I think sushi as well. But I don't get to experience that if I don't jump on the Delta Demon. And the second thing I notice is that is this. Things don't always go as planned. Things don't always go as planned. But here's what I've noticed in life is that that, that doesn't have to completely derail, nor does it have to negatively affect the outcome. See, Peter, where we began this series, if you weren't with us uh, week one, we, we started in Matthew chapter 14, where we see Peter asked the question to be where the Lord is. And the Lord was not in the boat, he was on the water. And so the Lord looks at, at Peter and says, jump. Now, what you need to know is there's a massive storm going on. There's, they're out in the middle of the sea, and Peter jumps off into the water, and something supernatural happens, something that he didn't expect, maybe something that, that, that was completely mind-blowing. He walked on the water, and it said everything was going fine. Everything was defying gravity. He was having the time of his life until something happened. And then look at verse 30. Verse 30 says, but when he saw the wind, when he saw the wind, and those waves rolling in toward him. And the boat shaking. When he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Peter was having the time of his life until the click stopped. Until he became distracted. And then what happens next is fear sets in and changes everything. Guys, it's the same for us. There are these moments that we jump and everything's going fine until something distracts us, until a negative circumstance comes, until there's a rough moment in life comes, till life itself sets in on us. 
Work comes crashing down on us. A relationship that is already rocky gets worse. Negative circumstances comes. There's a down season in life. And with that comes an enormous amount of fear. And here's what you need to know about fear. Fear is a powerful, powerful emotion. But it doesn't have to always affect us negatively. See, fear can motivate us to action or it can stop us in our tracks. And it's completely up to us. And I would love to be able to stand here this morning and tell you, because this is where we've gone so far in the series, is jump, jump. You're going to love it. Jump. There's adventure waiting on you. What is God calling you to? And I told you my personal story last week and how great all that has been. And I would love to stand here and tell you that every time you take a jump, every time you take a leap of faith, every time that God calls you to do something of greater faith, that everything's going to smooth out. I would love to be able to stand here and tell you that if you'll just take a big leap of faith, guess what's going to happen? Everything that is negative in your life is going to smooth out. Life is going to be perfect for you. Here's what you need to know. That's not the truth. That's not reality. Nor is it the promise. That's not what God promises. That's not what Jesus calls us to. It's not the case. I would love to tell you that after you take the initial jump off into whatever it is that you feel like you're being called to, that you don't have the courage to do, you don't have the confidence to do, but you muster it up anyway and you jump, I would love to tell you that after you take the initial jump, it's all downhill from there. It is smooth sailing. But the truth is this, there are going to be obstacles that wait for you on the other side of the jump. You're on the cliff and you just kind of swan dive off and you're like, oh, here it is. I have tackled the biggest obstacle there is, my fear, my lack of faith, my pride, whatever it is. I have tackled that. Man, it's all downhill. And then you get somewhere downstream, you get somewhere along the way and you figure out, wow, there's a bigger obstacle waiting for me now than what was originally the jump in the first place. See, there's things going to happen. And when you're on that ascension up, so to speak, that track of life, at some point, and you may be in the middle of this season right now, you may be sitting in the back of the Delta Demon, stuck on the mountain. But at some point, the clicking is going to momentarily stop. And you're left wondering, what's next? And man, can I catch a break? And God, I took a jump. What's the deal? There's going to be something that stops. Progress is going to stop. Stopping your desired direction. God, I, I, you, I thought you and I were on the same page. You know what I desire. I'm trying to tune into what you desire. Why? And then fear, just like with Peter, is going to come flooding in. And it's going to begin to lead us down the opposite direction if we let it. And what I found in my own personal life is that Satan loves to capitalize on these moments. <laughs> See, if Satan can get us to doubt the victories, if, if he can somehow get us to doubt, or if he can plant seeds of doubt in the moments of triumph, if he can somehow get us to doubt God's presence and what it is that got us there in the faith journey and how God has been faithful when we're on the mountaintops, he'll keep you in the valleys. 
And so how we respond to these moments when life just isn't clicking anymore, how we respond to these distractions, these winds, these waves, these rough moments, how we respond to derailed plans, how we respond to trauma, how we respond to unexpected things and suffering will play a major, major role in the outcome. And so here's what we need to keep in mind, that your heart and the preparation of your heart, the condition of your heart will be revealed and your character will be forged when life doesn't turn out like it's planned. And I could go around this morning and every single one of you would go, there are moments in my life that just did not go as planned. And some of you may be living out a moment right now where life just has not gone like you hoped, like you planned. And you have a choice in this. You can navigate these things. And here's what we need to know. Guys, this goes even beyond spiritual. This is deeply spiritual, as we're going to see in just a second. But, guys, this goes beyond spiritual. Did a little research. There's social scientists and researchers who have studied in this area of resiliency. And it shows up over and over and over again that when trauma comes or major, a major life test comes, that typically it turns out one of two ways for people. And again, this is all sorts of research. And here, here's, here's the two ways. You either become completely paralyzed, completely defeated, and while it may not be forever, it takes you way longer and a much tougher process to get through it than you had to, or... You come out of it, not only surviving, but you emerge stronger depending on how you went into it, depending on your attitude, depending on some things that are very common in every single case. You thrive coming out of those kinds of things. And so here's the common things that they found were the, the key factors. And guess what? You're going to see these show up in Genesis 39 with a guy named jo Joseph. So let me give them to you so you can be looking for them. The determining factors on which of those roads you go down when trauma hits, they have narrowed down to three things. What they found in every single case, that those who came out emerged stronger than ever, number one, sought to take action. Early on, when they were in that moment, they felt times getting rough, they didn't just lay down, they took some sort of action. They, they sought to take action. Second is this, that they had a deep commitment to their values. When life crushed down, when life pressured down, when there were easier ways out, when there were things that they could do that might cause them to forfeit their values, but it would get them through quicker, they stayed committed to their values. And the third thing was this, is that in the midst of whatever it was they were dealing with, they found purpose and meaning. And so all of a sudden we see now in Genesis 39 in this life of Joseph, and what you need to know about Joseph is this. There's some good and bad. It's almost like he has something good happen, and then he has something bad happen. He has something good happen, and then he has something bad happen. And this is, this is his life over and over and over. So in Genesis 39, we see these things unfold where you think it can't get any worse. The clicking has completely stopped. And we're going to see the three things that are common to you getting through those things and thriving. You're going to see those things kind of surface to the top. But let me tell you where we've been. Back in Genesis 37, we see this, this guy named Joseph arrive on the scene. And he's one of 12 brothers. And at the time, he is the youngest. And there is no doubt that Joseph is the favorite brother. Dad makes, he doesn't hide it. 
he shows an immense amount of favoritism toward his, his youngest named Joseph. In fact, he makes this coat for him. And it's a tailored coat, and it's, it's beautiful. It says it's made of all these colors, and these colors represented certain things in culture, you know, purple representing lo- uh, royalty. And, and so this, this coat that just, that just screams, you are my favorite. And so Joseph would wear this coat. And so because dad made no bones about it, and he had this coat that he would flaunt, and he would keep his shoulders back, his other brothers began to resent that. In fact, we we see very quickly that they hated him for that, meaning that they also probably hated dad a little bit in the process. And so here he is, this young, confident, favorite son. Anything you want, it's yours. Life has a trajectory. In addition to that, he's a dreamer. And he has these dreams, and so, for an example, and we see this unfold, he has these, these dreams of wheat sheaves. And so they would cut wheat, and they would bind them and leave them sitting in the field, and then someone would come back and gather them up. And he has this dream where there's sheaves that represent his brothers, and then there's the one that represents him. And the sheaves of his brothers, it says that it bows down to his sheaves. Now, if you know your brothers already hate you, do you tell that story to them? So here's the scene. He goes out. They're working, which, by the way, he's not. He's at the house playing PlayStation. He goes out to take them lunch, and they go, oh, here he comes, the dreamer, the favorite, looking at me, wearing that coat. He goes, hey, guys, how's everybody doing? Here's lunch. By the way, can I tell you about a dream I had? Your sheaves... Bow down to my sheaves. Now you imagine the brother's response to this, right? So Joe's like, all right, we'll see you guys later. And so they have this little talk, and they're like, oh, can you believe this? Then he has another dream. Now at this point, you kind of say to yourself, like, is he not socially aware? Does he not read a room very well? Does he just lack sensitivity? Or is it that he doesn't care because he knows where he stands with his dad? So this time, it's the sun, moon, and the stars, the universe. And it says that in the dream, the sun, moon, and stars bow down to him. Some of you are like, I know this guy. He works with me, I think. (laughs) That the universe revolves around. And so again, delivers lunch. And he says, hey, guys, I had another dream. And he tells them this. It says that they burned with anger this time. They were so mad. But not only now did they hate him, they wanted to kill him. And so the brothers rallied together, and they said, that's it. And they had a plan. They were going to kill him and throw him into a pit for his body to rot. They were going to take this beloved coat, douse it in blood, take it back to the father and say, This is all that remains. A wild animal has devoured him, split him into pieces. He's gone. And we won't have to hear about his dreams anymore. We won't have to hear about dad go on and on and on at dinner about how great Joseph is. And luckily for him, there was a brother named Reuben, an older brother who said, hey, guys, we can't do this. He says, throw him in the pit. And his plan was to go back and get him later. But someone beats him to him. Judah, another one of the brothers, Says, hey guys, I got a plan. Instead of killing him, and we don't have anything to gain that way, other than we don't have to hear about his dreams, what if 
we make some money off this. And so they sell him off into slavery. There was a band of travelers coming through the Ishmaelites, and they said, hey, we've got a strapping young man who's strong. And they give them a sum of money, and off Joseph goes. They take the coat, they kill an animal and put blood on it, and they take it back to the dad and say, oh, my, look what has happened to your beloved son. They cash in. And I get to this point of the story in Genesis 39, and I go, it's pretty safe to say that life is not going as planned for young Joseph. See, he went from being the favorite to wearing a robe to being sold into slavery. And I stop right here, and I say, what would I do? How would I respond? And while I've never been sold into slavery, I've had these moments where I go, can things get any worse? And so we have this moment of evaluation. What would I do? How would I respond? And I just want to very quickly run us through how Joseph responds and look for the three things. We see in verses 1 through 6, and I've got it on the screen. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, so a high-ranking guy. The captain of the guard brought him home from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him, and he gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in the eyes and became his attendant. So Potiphar put him in charge of the household. And he entrusted to him his, his, his whole care, everything that he owned. From that time, he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. And the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in his house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything that he had in Joseph's care. And Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except for the food on the table that he ate. So let's address first things first, the most important. If you rewind back to verse 2, I want you to notice something because this is key in beginning to understand what God is doing and how it is that you're going to ultimately make it through the clicks. It says that the Lord was with Joseph. And this is the moment where, for me, doubt seeps in. Can things get any worse? And my mind sometimes immediately goes to, God, are you even remotely close to being in the room with me. There are moments where something has come crashing down and my first thought is God has bailed on me. And you don't have to raise your hand, but if you're honest, I bet you've thought the same things. And I want to take that completely off the plate that at no moment in the mountaintops or the valleys, does God bail on his creation? Those that he has crafted and made and called to love and into love at no moment. And I don't know your story and I don't know what it is you're dealing with or what you, you, you have dealt with, but I want you to know that God does not bail on his people. And in this moment, we see that Joseph 
was able to overcome some things, and the story's not over, but God stays with him. We see this over and over and over again. It's not just the mountaintops. See, God's easy to find and put our finger on in the mountaintops. Oh, man, look what's happened. God's done this, and it's amazing. But I want you to know that even in those rough spots that God doesn't bail. And so with that assurance, look at what emerges in this. Joseph took action. Joseph didn't sulk. Joseph didn't pout. Joseph didn't give up. Again, imagine you being a young man sent off into, you don't even know what's coming. You don't know what to anticipate. You don't know what's just happened. Why am I here? You don't understand it. You have this overwhelming amount of fear. Will I ever see my family? And Joseph took action. He took control in the areas that he could control. And you go, well, Jason, how do you know this? Because he wasn't in the fields. Notice it says that he was in Potiphar's house. Do you think Potiphar's just going to let any old slave just coming off the slave cart into his house immediately? No. He probably started somewhere back here, and Joseph did the things that he did because he knew the Lord was with him. He did them with excellence. And he said, listen, I can't control this, but I can control this. And so he did it well, and Potiphar took notice. He took action. And he, he, he got a little bit, and then Potiphar says, man, this, there's something to this guy. I like the way he works. I like his mentality. I like his attitude. And so he gives him a little more, and he takes action. And it says that he continues to take action, yet the Lord is behind all of this, but Joseph doesn't know where it's going. And he takes action, he takes action, he takes action. Before you know it, Joseph is in the house. Joseph has been welcomed in. Joseph has everything that Potiphar has under his control. And his circumstances begin to change because he controlled the things that he could control and he let the things that he couldn't go. And so circumstances begin to change. And here's what I've noticed, that growth happens when we seek to control what we can rather than giving up and thinking that we can't. And, and, and let's be honest, Joseph had every right to go, man, I'm done. I'm done. I went from royalty, I went from being the favorite, I went from being wearing a rope to this, I'm done. And ultimately, I know where this is going to lead. I'm either going to be killed or I'm going to be passed on to the next. I'm going to be sold for a greater profit. I'm done. I'm done. But Joseph grew instead, and he grew because he took control of the things that he could. And so in these moments when I don't like it, I don't understand it, I'm going to say, you know, God, I know you're here, and I'm going to be wholly faithful. I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to do it where I can, and I'm going to do it any way that I can, and I'm going to move forward knowing that God is with me. And I don't know how. I don't know where the strength's going to come from. I don't know where the answers are going to come from. I don't know what's the next step, but I just know I can't sit still. I can't sulk. I can't give up. So I'm going to control, and I'm going to seize control over the things that I can. And you go, well, Jason, I do that, but what's, what, what happens when things get worse? You know, I try to control and, and my attitude, I try to control certain situations, and, and it just seems to get worse, and it did for, Jesus, or for Joseph. And it's in these moments that leads us to the second. It's in these moments where I realize that this is where I begin to look for the easy way out. Is there a corner I can cut? Is there something I can do? I, I, I seep into this, you know what, just get what's mine mentality. And if I'm not careful, values begin to teeter. So look at how this goes. Verse 6 again. Now Joseph was a well-built and handsome man. 
And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and come and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. He has entrusted everything to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. He says, my master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Here's that moment. It's that moment that social scientist says, commitment to your values is going to matter in the long run. Committing to something, staying with something is going to matter. And here's what you need to know about the rest of the story on this. She doesn't give up. She comes back, it says, day after day. She's trying to break him down. Oh, not today, but tomorrow. And so she begins to maneuver herself in the house. She begins to try to entice him with everything and anything. She knows that at some point, he'll get what's his. He, he will break because he deserves something good. He deserves a good night. He deserves something pleasurable. He deserves, and you know what? No one's going to know. If, if they find out, I'll just say, well, you know, I'm the master of the house. And, and so at no point does she ease up, and so she goes full force. And then there comes a day where she really leans into him, and she's begging. You know you want it. I've seen the way you look at me. All we've both been waiting for is opportunity. Today's that day. And it says that he flees, and she takes his coat off as he's running. And I look at this, and I go, talk about bad timing. And again, I begin to evaluate my life, and I figure out that temptation comes the strongest when we're at our lowest. You look at this and go, Joseph, I mean... This could have accelerated you faster. This, I mean, you're trying to improve. I mean, what better way than to make good with the wife? I mean, why would you not take this? And in my life, when things aren't going as I've planned, temptation comes in and says, then you take it. You take what you can. You take what, you, what will, will accelerate the improvement process. You take what's yours. And, and it tells me, yeah, but you might have to get involved in something that you know better. But, you know, who cares? You're just trying to get out of this mess. So I act out in ways I know won't be helpful. And, and, and the question at this moment for Joseph, and it's a question that you and I will face if we ever go through, if we ever hope to come out of these things emerging and thriving in them, is this. Will I let my commitment go? Will I compromise? Will I abandon those things? And Joseph says, no, 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 even if it means I stay put. In an already dreadful situation, I'd rather be here than out there abandoning something that I know is going to take me down a path that I don't want to. So how does this work out for Joseph? We pick up in verse 19. He says, when the master heard the story, see the wife goes and says, he tried to come at me and he left his coat in the process. You know, he, he tried to force himself on me. And look at this. When the master heard the story of his wife, this is how your slave treated me, she said. He burned with anger. 
And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison where the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And it goes from bad to worse. But even in this moment, he never abandons. And I love this. I love how God responds. And here's the bright side of all this. You go, man, what a story. But while Joseph was in prison, look at this, verse 21, the Lord was with him. And he showed him kindness, and he granted him favor in the eyes of the prison guards and the warden. And here's the point of this second one is this, is that God always values our commitment to our values. And we have to lean into this, and we have to trust this, not only in the best of times, but in the worst of times, when things don't make sense, when things don't go as planned, when there doesn't seem to be an end in sight We've got to lean in that God values when I commit to my values. God's going to be with me in those moments. So during all this one step forward and two steps back, Joseph moves quickly into that third arena. He took action. He said, I'm not going to compromise my values. I'm going to stay committed. I don't care how bad it gets. And then all of a sudden he begins to do something that is extremely difficult. He begins to find meaning and purpose. If we read the rest of the story, he begins to find people that he makes friends with, even in the dungeon, the worst of the worst prison, the worst circumstances. He begins to go cell to cell, and he begins to serve people. And it says that the warden begins to put him in charge. And you're going, are you kidding me? I mean, this guy gets put in charge because he took action. He remained steady in his values, and he begins to find meaning and purpose. He meets these guys. He meets the, the king's cupbearer who had done something to displease the king. He meets the king's baker who had done something to displease the king, and they were spending a, a stint in prison with him. And So he meets these guys, and he uses his God-given talents. He uses this strength, this, this attitude that can only come from God in these moments, this assurance that God has not bailed on him, this this take action kind of, and he begins to say, how can I serve you? He looks for purpose and meaning even in the midst of suffering. And then the turning point comes in chapter 40, verse 6 and 7. He says, when Joseph came to them, talking about the cupbearer, talking about the king's people, these are people that have spent time in the king's most intimate places. It says, when he came to them and he saw that they were dejected, he asked Pharaoh's officials, the cupbearer, the baker, who were in custody, why do you look so sad today? Guys, did you catch this? He had every right to be preoccupied with himself. He had every right to sit in this room and, and go over his, 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 his course of action. What in the world? He had every right to be completely consumed with his issues and his troubles. But instead it says... Why are you so down? How can I help you? Now, i got to be honest. That's not always my response. In these moments that mirror it to some degree Joseph's life, I'm going to tell you, if I'm not mad and I'm not bitter and I haven't already given up, I'm sure not looking for somebody to help. And Joseph says, even in this, there's got to be meaning. 
There's got to be purpose. And so he begins to take their, their issues, their down, their, whatever it is that's gotten them down in life, and he begins to go, how can I help you? And they're like, who is this guy? And I begin to fast forward as I read the rest of the Bible, and I, I begin to look at these moments and go, is there anything more Jesus than this? Is there anything more Jesus? And if anything teaches me anything, whether it's Genesis 39, whether it's Peter, whether it's on through the Gospels, it's this, is that there is great purpose and meaning to be found in the middle of great pain. And I want you to hold to that. I want you to have awareness around that. I want you to take courage because of that. I want you to have great faith. I want you to have an attitude that says, I'm going to jump. I don't know what's next, but whatever's next, I'll take action. I'm going to concrete my values in. And you know what? I'm going to find something good about this. I'm going to find somewhere to serve. Storms have a way of teaching us something that nothing else can. And to this point, we've talked a lot of good things about just jump, it's going to be amazing, and jump, it's going to be awesome, and life is just going to kind of have this moment, this mountaintop, but what happens when it doesn't? And I want you to know that it's not life over, it's not game over, it's not God's belt on me, but maybe there's something for us to learn even in the midst of those moments because storms have a way of teaching us something that nothing else can. You guys stand with me as we end. The end of the story goes like this very quickly. There's a great famine that hits Egypt. It hits the whole region. And food dries up everywhere, except through a series of dreams that led to a series of action and preparation, this hub in Egypt that Joseph has been made in charge of has these great vats storage of wheat and grain. So everybody in the region is coming there to purchase in order to survive, including none other than his brothers. So they roll into town hoping to beg, borrow, steal, whatever they need to do, just take care of my family. And they stand in front of this government official who they don't know. But little did they know it was none other than their little brother decades ago they had sold into slavery. And there is this beautiful, only God can orchestrate reunion between Joseph and his brothers. The people that sought to take his life, he is now saving their life. I told you this is so Jesus. But here's what I notice as we end. As long as Joseph was wearing the robe, he was never going to be in community with his brothers. It took a series of things, beginning with stripping off his robe, that ultimately was going to lead him to being a part of the family in a new way, was going to lead him to being in true community, in true relationship. But Joseph had no clue. But he took action. And he concreted his values. And he made good of whatever situation. I know this, that as long as he was wearing the robe, he was never going to know what he was capable of in difficult times. And as long as you wear the robe, you'll never fully figure out what you're capable of when difficult times 
And I know that as long as he was wearing the robe, he would never fully understand what God was doing and that God was enough even when you lose everything. And there have been moments where you might lose everything or you think, you know what, there's nothing left for me to lose. I want you to know that God is still enough. And he would have never known that as long as he wore the robe. I don't know everything about your rough moment I don't have all the answers. I don't have the timeline. But I know God. Don't just survive. Thrive. Father, this morning, I just pray that you will make us thrivers, not just survivors. But also know that I've got to have an active part in that. As great as you are and as overseeing to all of this, there's still things I've got to do. And it begins with taking action and controlling what I can. And maybe for me, that's my attitude. It's my outlook. It's, it's the company that I'm putting myself in. It's the habits that I'm starting to create. So God, I pray that this group of people goes today and they begin to, to lay hold of the things. They lay hold of things they can control today. We don't worry about what is waiting for us next. We deal with what's in front of us, but we know that you're going to be there every step of the way for us. God, I pray that we don't, in the middle of this, we don't begin to let our commitment to our values go. God, anyone who's lived for a moment knows that it doesn't make things easier. It just makes things worse. There's something else that's going to be waiting on us when we lie, when we cheat, when we compromise, when we abandon, when we know better and still step into it thinking it's going to make something easier. God, we know it's just going to be waiting on us in a bigger way down the road somewhere. So let's concrete them in. And Father, I don't know the timeline on things. I know that people get exhausted. I know that people don't always uh, fill up to it. But God, can we begin to find meaning in the midst of this? Can we find purpose in the midst of this? And that purpose is going to become very clear to us when we look outside of ourselves and we begin to look at other people. Finding someone I can encourage, someone I can serve, someone I can lift up, even in the midst of me needing to be lifted up. God, can I begin to lean into someone else and say, what it is that's got you? Can I help? Can I be there for you? So Father, we just pray that you never... Let us lose sight that you are with us in these moments. When the mountain stops clicking, when we feel like we've overcome the biggest obstacle, God, you'll be with us for the next one as well. And may that breed in us confidence. May that breathe into us new life, new faith. May we grow as a result of it. We pray this through your son's name.